Are you a college student looking for extra guidance on how to figure out your life after college? Maybe you need to spice up your resume, find the best way to answer difficult interview questions, or you just want to be in the right mindset for determining your career path. My best-selling career ebook guide is now available on the official podcast website at whatfulfillsyou.com where you can also find the recent merchandise drop of the What Fulfills You daily signature notebook, which is my go-to vegan leather notebook for writing down gratitude, priorities, meeting notes, and so much more. You can find all of this on the official website at whatfulfillsyou.com. Emily Elizabeth, and I'm the host of the What Fulfills You podcast, a show for and about individuals always seeking to be their best selves. On this show, we talk all about building the mindset, finding the right careers, creating meaningful relationships, and so much more. Welcome to the What Fulfills You podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the What Fulfills You podcast. My name is Emily Elizabeth, and I am your host. Welcome if you are brand new here, and welcome back, as always, if you have been listening. So on today's episode, as you can tell, we are going to be diving into the topic of positive psychology and, of course, a little bit more, but that is kind of the core background of who I have on today, which is Elise Garcia. And before I dive into her bio, I did want to share like a story as to how I know her. So back in college, again, this does tie into my experience in college and that whole concept of how junior year was a little bit more rough for me mentally, emotionally, all of that. And so towards the end of my junior year, I remember there was a student fair and I was walking past this, I think it was like decked out with like balloons and it had a little bit of pink and it was called the Strong Movement or for the Chapman chapter, it was called Chapman Strong Girls. And I was asking like, what is it about? And I remember whoever I spoke to was saying, you know, it's about wellness, physical and mental health and all of that. And of course, during this, new transition period for me that was a priority for me and being in a sorority especially one at the school I attended it was definitely not focused on that it was very much a social status type of sorority if you will and I mean most schools are like that but I will admit I think there's a spectrum of how much it matters and what each sorority focuses on and certainly at my university in general like socializing and going out and all that was a huge priority for students on top of the academics but um, that being said I had a lot of interest in it and to be transparent I actually didn't really attend much of the events during the spring semester which was kind of when I really wanted to be attending the events but Basically, uh, fast forward to the end of the semester, I think they were looking for candidates to be on their next exec board. And like I said, I barely went to any events. I think if anything, I only went to like one or two at most. But I loved the concept of it. I just clearly didn't have the time um, for my junior year or I didn't make the time 
because I was also involved in DECA Business Club, which that semester in particular, I remember traveling to DC for a couple of days for the competition, and that was very exciting, and I had a lot of focus on that as well. So um, I remember that was always conflicting, but uh, when I saw that they were looking for people to apply for exec, I was like, well, why not? Let me just, you know, apply and see how it goes. So I think I applied for president or vice president. I don't really know, but long story short, I got the president position. This was the first time I was in a leadership role, especially in college, because I can be very independent or that's probably more my strong suit in that I can lead myself along the way and I can probably lead others, but I just never felt the inclination to in college, especially with sororities, right? Like there was nothing appealing to me about being the president of a sorority just for me because of what I what else I did outside of college, which was, you know, working part-time, three different jobs, and then also running my own business and so forth and just was really focused on my post-grad life and I didn't really want to do a conventional route and so being in a leadership role within a sorority in my opinion was probably going to slow me down on the extracurriculars I had outside of school if that makes sense Um, but anyways I was president of this uh, club I got to discuss with Elise what my vision was for leading the club and I just remember it was such a cool feeling in the first meeting of the school year, I was like, what the heck do I do? And just, you know, leading, I think, I don't know, I think 180 girls showed up to the first meeting and we didn't get meeting rooms on time. So we had a really small meeting room and everyone was cramped. (laughs) But I remember it just felt liberating to be surrounded by girls. And even though I was a senior, there was freshmen and sophomore in there and of course some juniors uh, who were clearly interested in this aspect. And again, I will say as well, freshmen and just people who just first entered the school, they could not rush until spring. And so our rush was not until January. And so, of course, in the fall, girls are looking for new ways to get involved, and this club was very prominent during that period. Um, But yeah, I guess that's just my long-winded way of saying that that experience in itself and honing down my passion and love for wellness and this mental health aspect, I think that a lot of it has parlayed over into the foundation of how What Fulfills You started. Of course, again, if you have listened for a while, you know I had an existing podcast prior to this with a co-host, but then I really was able to shift gears into this podcast and having a stronger focus on the topics that I really enjoy, which surrounds a lot of what the strong movement encompasses. But aside from that, I will give you the quick bio of Elise Garcia. She is a positive psychology professional, keynote speaker, and the founder of The Strong Movement. Known for her genuine and down-to-earth personality and positive attitude, Elise has worked with over 7,000 female college students and sorority women on campuses across the country leading confidence workshops and fitness workouts. Her science-based well-being curriculum has most recently been implemented nationwide for thousands of sorority women to build resilience and develop healthy habits to thrive in college and life. Elise consults 
for organizations and helps individuals and teams learn resilience skills and cultivate a culture of well-being and belonging at all levels. Elise is a graduate of the University of Southern California Marshall School of Business and also earned her Master of Applied Positive Psychology degree from the University of Pennsylvania. Again, this episode is awesome because we dive into all facets of Elise's career from, you know, USC, how she discovered her passion for fitness, what she did initially after college and just leading up to her journey today. And so I really believe there's a lot of great nuggets for those of you listening. And with that being said, we will dive into it. Well, Elise, thank you so much for joining me today. I know it's been a while since we connected, um, but I'm so stoked to dive into strong movement and of course, your knowledge on applied positive psychology. And I was looking at your LinkedIn prior to this and recognized there's a lot of you know background you have in different areas. So I would love if you could dive into your background first, where you went to school, you know, things you were doing prior to Strug Movement and kind of leading up to you know where you are at today. Yeah. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat with you and honored to be on the podcast. I know that this is something that you've been working on for a while now. So uh, it's great to see you in action and to actually get to participate in it. So thank you so much. Um, yeah, so that's such a loaded question, right? Like, tell me about your life, like, tell me your life story, right? But I guess the short, try to be short, because I can go on and on and blab about things. But um, before the strong movement, uh, I went to USC and USC here in Los Angeles. And I was a business major. And I in one of my entrepreneurship classes, so I was a business major. And then I was, uh, my emphasis was in entrepreneurship. And so I remember being super passionate about a wide variety of different things and different industries and just curious about um, different fields. And I remember my professor actually telling me to go home and look at all of the magazines that I had and to then from those identify two to three fields that I was interested in based off of the genres of the magazines. Well, Mm -hmm. I went home and I realized all of my magazines were fitness magazines. And so (laughs) I then realized, okay, I guess I'm interested in fitness. And I sure was. Um, I remember distinctively going to the gym at USC and it was all fraternity guys and men. And I was the only girl in the gym in the weight room. And all of the other girls and friends were on uh, the treadmills and on cardio machines. And I was just really interested in well, first I was interested in changing my body because of course in college, I was all about my physical appearance, right? But through that process and through going to the gym and working out and reading my brother's uh, fitness magazine. So they were actually all men's fitness magazines mm-hmm. that I had. <laughs> I realized I became very, um, it wasn't so much about the physical transformation as it was the mental transformation and mm-hmm. how I felt after working out and the confidence that it gave me and the energy and the vitality that it gave me. And so, you know, I started taking my friends to the gym. And of course, like I wasn't a trainer at the time. The only thing I knew was what I was reading in the magazines. And so I was maybe a step ahead of all of my friends, but I quickly realized that, um, 
you know, it wasn't going to work out because I'd go to the gym and instead of getting a workout in myself, I was training my friends. And so <laughs> I decided, okay, this is not going to work because I still need to get my workout in. And so I started posting my workouts on a blog and <laughs> just motivational tips and my recipes. And that was actually, it's funny enough, um, Instagram came out or what like became popular my senior year at USC. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't know what Instagram was and I downloaded it. And so I remember it, I just thought it was like a fun camera with cool Mm -hmm. filters. And so all of my first pictures, and if you go back on my account, on my personal account, all of my first pictures are like pictures of my food of like (laughs) all of the different recipes that I was creating. Um, But long story short, that was really the foundation of the strong movement. I called it the strong movement. And it really became a place that um, gained a little bit of traction at USC. And I was able to share positive tips and um, motivational stories and blogs uh, for other college women. And then fast forward to where we are today, the Strong Movement. Our main mission is to inspire women to be their best through Mm -hmm. healthy living, through positive psychology, um, through fitness and nutrition, a wide variety of healthy habits, really embodying uh, and adopting a healthy lifestyle um, and to build strong bodies and strong minds. And so the mission has always been the same and what we do has evolved um, as I've evolved and as the business has evolved um, and as the world evolves really. So um, Mm -hmm. I think at the core women desire and want the same things and um, the same knowledge and tools and tips. And we're uh, just sharing them in different ways um, as the world evolves. Right. Wow. I love, I love that it came back to, you know, just your curiosity about fitness. And I think that really goes to show that if people took a moment to really just look at what they've always been interested in, you know, again, you had that, you know, the fitness magazines all together and you look through them, it's like, oh, well, they're all fitness, right? But it's like only when someone, you know, pushes you and nudges you and say, hey, like, look at what you are always constantly connecting with. And then you suddenly realize it's that one thing and you've been overlooking it for so many years. I am curious though, so before we dive into the strong movement, what were you doing uh, career-wise or maybe um, in in your jobs prior to really starting out with the strong movement and going full-time with that? Yeah, so yeah, it is funny how you say, you know, so a lot of times it's like right in front of you, but until you're forced to actually look at it, like you don't even realize it, right? And I remember distinctively telling my professor, well, I'm interested in all these things. And he's like, no, your assignment is to go back and pick one. Right. So uh, yeah, he definitely forced me to fight to, to pick an area and hone in on it. Um, yeah. So when I graduated USC, I wanted to be a sports reporter. I was not a broadcast major. I had no experience whatsoever in mm-hmm. reporting, in hosting, in speaking, really. I remember a class I wrote, you know, we had to give a a presentation and I wrote my entire presentation down on paper and our little index cards and being so nervous and like shaking throughout and just being so scared. But for some reason, I really wanted to dive into this field. And granted, when I was at USC, I fell in love with football and college football and the entire game day experience uh, of college football and especially of USC traditions. And so um, after graduating, I, uh, we launched, we created this, this is like, now it's hard to imagine, but back in the day, 
like no, not very many people were creating their own YouTube series or, right. um, you know, like hosting their own shows. It was kind of like before everybody and their mother was doing it. Um, <laughs> I grabbed a, my mom's home video camera and I went to Radio Shack, which doesn't exist anymore, but I bought a Radio Shack microphone mm-hmm. and this is like pre-Amazon, went to you know, I was living in Orange County, drove all the way to Burbank up in LA to buy a mic flag. So it's like the little, um, for people that don't know, it's like the, like the sign, I guess you could say the little sign underneath the microphone that says the name of the channel or name of the show. Right. So Mm -hmm. the little like flag on the microphone. And so I went and bought one and then I printed out a label on my computer and we like that, we called our show Trojans Hellgate TV. And I went and I got my experience going to USC football games literally the season after graduating from college and getting experience on, you know, live experience, not, it wasn't being broadcast live, but I was getting on the spot experience interviewing just random people, random fans at USC home football games and tailgates. And then, um, you know, it was my best friend, uh, two of my best friends filming me. And then after that, and we would have a great time doing it. So it was it was a lot of fun, but we got, we got the shots down and we got to meet really cool people. And then I'd go home after the game and, uh, we would edit all of the the footage and put it into a little episode and then up it went on YouTube. So funny enough, um, you know, people thought when we were interviewing them, like people thought we were Fox sports and ESPN and like, (laughs) we like, I mean, we did not look legit or official, but I guess, I don't know, I guess with a couple of drinks we did, right? For some people. (laughs) Um, But it was really funny because we were were so confident and we would just walk right up to the media line at the Coliseum. And like, there we were with our little Trojan tailgate, uh, you know, microphone and home video camera. And we were like, we're Trojan tailgate TV. And like, the crazy thing is, is that they let us in through the media line, which, you know, makes me question the security of the Coliseum, which I'm sure (laughs) has improved since. But um, so yeah, so we start, you know, that's how I started gaining my experience and my mm. reel. And from there, uh, it led me to a job with Dodgers nation, which, uh, was a fan site for the LA Dodgers. And it was, um, a sister site of Lakers nation. So it was created mm. by fans for fans. And so I would, again, it was my very first experience, uh, hosting a show and, um, and, and reporting on whatever Dodger news was happening that day. And, you know, at the time it was like, I thought I would just show up and, you know, I just chat on camera and that would be it. But really I was like, that was not the case. Right. Like my first little studio was a closet and I would go in and I would write um, the script based off of the news and then uh, we would upload it and I would film myself. And so that would take, Mm you know, two, three hours to yeah. just film myself, like on top of the couple of hours that it took to write the script and then film myself and then edit it. So an entire day to edit like a two minute clip on Dodgers news that day. Um, but over the course of the season, I, uh, you know, got better and, um, and, and it was, it was really a great experience. And so from that, that led me into, um, my dream job at the time was being a game day host for the team. And so okay. I um, was invited to audition and 
I got the job and it was a really great experience. And my first day on the job was the first time I had ever held a a microphone at Dodger Stadium. And so I really did not know what to expect. No training, no preparation whatsoever. I was just like thrown into it. Um, And, you know, I learned a lot. And at the end of the day, while it was all fun and games and I really enjoyed it, it made me realize that I wanted to be able to help people beyond just being a part of their entertainment and their Mm -hmm. game day experience and being able to really help people in their lives, create positive change uh, and and grow uh, personally. And so that's when I decided to go back to really focus on the strong movement full time. So a long winded answer to uh, share with you how, you know, full circle, how I started with the strong movement went through this whole experience, right? Uh, going into sports broadcasting, and then coming back to the strong movement. Yeah. What was the pivotal moment that you realized you wanted more impact outside of that entertainment aspect? And also kind of like, how old were you at that time, just to kind of give the audience a glimpse into that timeline for you? Right. So I worked for the Dodgers the 2015 season. So I was 24, turned 25 mid-season. Yeah. So the pivotal moment, um, that's interesting. That's an interesting question. Well, the most like vivid moment I can remember is like, you know, I'm there in the crowd and just to give uh, like a visual example of what I would do. So we would host uh, the pregame show for home Dodger games at Dodger Stadium, interview celebrities, fans, baseball players. And then throughout the game, we would host uh, the game experience and the like fan, ex- sorry, fan experience. So all the different games that you see the fans play on the Jumbotron uh, at, Dodger St- uh, at Dodger Stadium, it's called Dodger Vision. Uh, I would host that and co-host it on um, certain home games. And so one of the moments... Um, I had a beer spilled on me and mm. I, I mean, I'm just recalling that right now, but like for a vivid moment, it's like, okay, yeah, I knew I wanted to, to do more and have more of an impact, um, yeah. just on people beyond, beyond what I could do in sports and what I was doing at the time. Right. Well, I think you certainly probably got a lot of experience in the speaking aspect, right? Because I th- I will have to say, especially when you came into the meetings for Chapman Strong Girls, I always saw that, okay, she's such a great speaker. You know, you're very eloquent with your words and just the way you hold yourself. I was always like, okay, she knows exactly how to hold a room. And I think, you know, would you say that comes from ex- some of the experience you had in, you know, leading up to the strong movement or was it something you think you developed more personally? Well, first of all, thank you. That is such a nice compliment because I certainly do not feel that way. I'm always like, you know, you're always going to be your biggest critic. So to have someone recognize a really positive trait, I mean, thank you so much. Um, Yeah, I did not pay you to say that. (laughs) Or who paid you to say that, right? Um, So yeah, I I appreciate that that comment. Uh, It obvious, yeah, it, it definitely gave me experience and um you know I was on camera on a huge big screen at Dodger Stadium Mm -hmm. so but you know we did not have any media training whatsoever so the training that I did have was on my own so before Dodger games I had a voice coach so I would go Mm -hmm. practice with the coach um and we would go through uh we didn't you know we didn't have a set script but but he was a like a voice actor coach and so he would give me these scripts to practice 
working on my voice, talking from my diaphragm and not from my chest. And um, mm. we would practice different scenarios and just really work on improving my voice quality or, you know, I, I don't know what you would call it, but yeah, right. practicing my voice and, and speaking. And then um, the public speaking aspect of it. I mean, I had a mentor when I was doing the Trojan tailgate shows and you know, he kept telling me, you know, it's so important to just get your reps in, get, get your reps in every single time mm -hmm. you go out there and you do something on camera or you speak, that's part of the practice. That's part of getting your reps in. And so, um, I think it really is just building on the previous experience and just practice. And, um, you know, I, I should probably watch more of my videotapes, but it's scary, right? To watch them. Cause I cringe yeah. every time I'm like, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe I said that. Or like I had that expression or I talk like that, but I think it's important because it helps you uh, improve and it helps you get better. And then also getting feedback from the audience that you're speaking to uh, mm -hmm. and, 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 and incorporating what they share with you back into your future talks mm -hmm. and the next things that you do. So I can't remember your question, but I hope that answers it. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. And I think it speaks levels on just the fact that you, it seems like you repeated a lot in that you're practicing a lot. You did some coaching, you did get some feedback from others. And so I wanted to part, like you just discussed that a little bit, just because I think so many people, especially my generation, will see the success of many people today and think, or at least forget, like it took many years of like this internship or this job or this role that leads up to, you know, for example, something like the strong movement where you're able to expand and have a bigger vision because you had the experience leading up to it. Um, but I do want to dive into the strong movement. I'm curious, how did you start to expand? I, I don't know how many schools or colleges um, the strong movement is currently in, but I feel like it expanded pretty rapidly, if I remember, to seeing that I think you were already in some Southern schools, obviously at Chapman and USC, of course. But, um, you know, yeah, I would love to hear how you expanded it, how you actually approached bringing it onto campus, because I'm sure that's kind of not too easy just to go to any college and be like, all right, I want to bring this club in. I think it'd be awesome. And yeah, I would love to hear the story behind that. Yeah. So around the time that I was working for the Dodgers, it was actually at the same time, my, um, one of my roommates from USC, she was actually still at USC. And um, she was, I think she was a freshman when we were a senior and we happened to be paired in the same apartment. So by the time I was working with the Dodgers, she was a senior at USC. And so she was like, hey, you know, you should come back to USC and speak. A lot of women here want to go into sports broadcasting or journalism, and they'd love to hear how you got to where you were with the Dodgers. And so I came back and started working with sororities. And, you know, the next thing I knew, not only was I sharing the tips on how I got to where I got, uh, but I was also sharing um, what is now, you know, what is positive psychology, but I didn't know it at the time, uh, you know, motivational tips and um, personal growth skills and tools that they can apply in their lives to grow personally and professionally. So I was sharing that. And then I was leading fitness workouts afterwards. And so it was really around the time I was very active on social media um, and it was, you know, word spreads really fast. And so I was doing this at USC. And then the next thing I know, another school here in LA wanted me to go. And then Chapman 
uh, wanted me to speak a sorority there. And so it just kind of one thing led to another. And that's like a, a big takeaway is that you have to build that momentum. And when you build momentum, you get start getting more opportunities. So the more you start doing something, the more comes your way. And so I started building, building that momentum, giving talks, um, wherever people asked me to speak, I would go give a workshop. And then the next thing I knew, I was, uh, sororities were contacting me from all over the country to mm. come speak on their campus or in their chapter meetings. And it was, I would say, a combination of social media and just friends talking to friends about what they experienced in their sorority and me coming and uh, the workshop that I gave. Uh, and mm -hmm. I guess it was very impactful because I had people calling me afterwards. So um, that's really like how one thing led to another. And then we um, opened it up to have campus reps. So at one point we had we had a lot of campus reps all over the country. And I, I, mm -hmm. I don't remember the number or how many um, and really, I left it up to them to decide whether they wanted to start a club uh, on their campus and really um, lead the way and, and, and make it a student experience for all women on campuses that perhaps and for women on campuses that were in sororities and then were not in sororities. So opening it up mm -hmm. to really all students and um, Chapman, which coincidentally happens to be in my backyard, mm -hmm. uh, a, a, some of the women that I worked with when I spoke at a sorority decided that they wanted to start a club there. And how many years in are we? Like we are, I don't even know. It's been at least five years that the club has been active and mm -hmm. you were a president of the club and yeah. that's how we met. <laughs> and um, yeah, so it's just it's so great to see the evolution and I really don't have much to do with the day-to-day. -day. It's very self-run, student-run, as you know. Um, and uh, I'm just so proud of all of the women that have been on the board and that have really um, made it their own and um, have opened it up to the community and made it a really inspiring, inclusive place for Chapman students. So mm -hmm. um, I'm very grateful to you for taking something that I started and running with it and creating, uh, you know, just building on it and creating an experience for, for others. Yeah. And I have to say, I think the first time I came across Chapman Strong Girls was when I was a junior at Chapman and I was a transfer as well. I transferred from UC Irvine, didn't really love my experience there and definitely loved my experience at Chapman, especially just with the difference in the academics and just the people and the mentality behind like what people want out of college and what people want, you know, for their future as well. And I remember um, during the fair, the student fair, I walked by the table that was really interesting. So I put my name in. I think I went to just a couple of events, not really was that involved, but I just remember I always loved the mission and purpose behind it in that it was about the mental health, the positive mind, the positive body. And I don't know if I ever like shared this with you, but during my junior year, I was in a very deep mental rut. I was very, you know, just in a darker place. And I think that was very calling to me. And so I always recognized like I, I loved being in a sorority, but also I wasn't that 
connected with being super involved in it either. And I was very driven to be on a mission around mental health and like the wellness aspect and how people can still incorporate a little bit of everything, you know, still being with your sorority girls while also finding friends that also have the interest to go to soul cycle together or Pilates together like we did um, as a group. So um, it was really fun, of course, to take over as president. I mean, my schedule was so busy my senior year, but it was so fun just to, I don't know, it was something that I looked forward to so much. And I think that in itself definitely parlayed over into the podcast today, just because it's, again, similar uh, philosophy around mental health and just really focusing on the mind. Was that something you felt was lacking on college campuses as well is the focus for like a group of women to have more topics around health and wellness because I think that was something lacking as a whole in sororities right you know with Greek life it's a lot about partying and social you know socializing and and going to date parties and formals and all that um but then i always felt like girls if they wanted to go to soul cycle they either maybe have one or two friends to go with or they'll go alone which was always my case but i'm curious was that a space that you noticed that is and was lacking in college yeah well it's interesting that you say that because i always say that i created something that i so desperately wanted myself and i remember going to the gym by myself and wishing that i had a group of because i was not in a sorority so i was you know wishing that i had a group of girls and friends that i could go with and just work out together and, mm-hmm. you know, go to get a smoothie at the time. The only smoothie place was Jamba Juice. Get a yeah. Jamba Juice smoothie afterwards um, and really live a healthy lifestyle around wellness, you know, both for minds and body. And there wasn't anything at the time for women in general on a college campus. So, um, yeah, I think it just evolved and I, and it was something that I really wanted. And so, I hoped that with what I created, it filled the gap and really filled the need for what other women wanted. Cause I figured, you know, if I can't be the only person that wants this too. So, mm-hmm. um, and come to find out, yeah, a lot of, a lot of college women want the same thing, uh, and want a safe space of women where they feel connected to them. They feel like they belong to the group and they have the same shared values around, whoops, around wellness and, uh, well-being. Okay, so I definitely want to dive into applied positive psychology. I remember, I think, was it in 2019 that you were going back and forth between LA and Philadelphia? I remember your schedule was crazy. I'm talking like on a, yeah. on a plane every two and a half weeks, right? Or three weeks? It was, yeah, it was wild. Um, I'm still recovering from that. <laughs> I feel like I'm actually now just getting to a place like, okay, I've recovered. Um Yeah. So I got into the positive psychology program at the University of Pennsylvania, which is in Philadelphia, um, which you know very well. And um, I was flying back and forth for class and it averaged about every two and a half to three weeks back and forth, like from the time I would fly to then, you know, I would fly, we would have a class, we would have class all day, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then I would fly Wednesday Um, adjust to the schedule Thursday or to the time change class all weekend. And then I would fly back uh, Monday. And then in between that, I was flying to different college campuses all over the country. So my, I joke that like I lived out of a suitcase, but I really did. I was on an airplane practically every week for a good, like nine, 10 months. Um, And so, yeah, it was, 
definitely very hard on the body. And it's one of those things that you don't realize until after where you're like, I can't believe I just did all that. And I was running on like pure adrenaline and just like, really, I really depleted myself, but it was something that, you know, the program is very rigorous and it, it, it demands a lot. And I was absolutely committed to the program. And I was also committed to traveling and speaking and working with sororities. And what was cool about a positive about doing it at the same time, even though it was very taxing, was that I was able to take what we were learning in class and actually go back and apply it in real time with the chapters that I was working with and then with the women that I was working with. So I was able to test things out um, pretty immediately. So we would learn something in class and I'd be like, great, I'm going to incorporate that next week, which uh, I can't speak for other people's experiences, but I know you know, some people didn't have the opportunity to be able to so quickly apply what they were learning uh, into the field that they were working with. So that was really amazing to be able to do that uh, in real time. Uh, but yes, it was very, it was a very extreme schedule. And uh, the pandemic uh, made me realize how important it is to be on a circadian rhythm and how really disruptive traveling is for overall well-being uh, and for your mind and body. So can you describe what applied positive psychology is? I mean, I think the terms itself sounds very simple, but, and I think it's a very innovative program. I myself love the aspect of it, but for those who are not aware, can you describe it in your own words? Like what is it about and what is the goal in studying and and researching this? Yeah. So positive psychology is a scientific study of all of the processes and conditions that contribute to human flourishing. So what are all of the practices, skills, tools, techniques, methods, strategies, whatever you want to call it, habits, attitudes, beliefs that contribute to optimal functioning and thriving in life of people. So individuals like you and me, groups like sororities, right? And then institutions like um, communities or, you know, you could say college campuses or organizations. And so um, it goes in and it studies So the field of positive psychology researchers in the field study, um, you know, they answer the questions of what makes life worth living, what, like your Mm. podcast, what fulfills you. Um, So it's much more, I think a lot of times you'll see positive psychology on a, like a magazine cover and you'll think that, oh, it's the science of happiness. It is much more than the science of happiness. It's the science of well-being. And it does not mean that, I think a lot of times if you think it's a science of happiness, you you think like, oh, well then that means like, I, I, I must always be happy and I can't experience negative emotions. And the name positive psychology implies that like, everything must be positive. And if there's a negative, then like something's wrong with me or, you know, what's going on. And that's, that can't be further from the truth. The uh, positive psychology understands the entire human condition, but the field mm-hmm. focuses on helping people that are already at a certain level of functioning and at a baseline improve and move the needle to a higher level of thriving. It also doesn't mean that you um, have to be thriving 100% of the time or flourishing 24-7 all day, every day. Um, Well-being really, it it ebbs and it flows. And there's times in your life where you're going to be killing it. And then there's times where you're going to be going through a lot of struggle. And that's where the science of resilience comes in. How do you adapt Mm -hmm. to stressors and challenges in your life and navigate them, but also grow through them? And so it really encompasses the entire human condition, but we focus in on studying uh, the, you know, what constitutes thriving, flourishing, 
resilience and high levels of positive emotions, engagement, um, meaning, relationships, mm -hmm. and achievement. So um, I can go on and on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I definitely want to dive really deep into this too, because I think there's a lot of nuggets within this area that people, especially my audience, can apply into their own life. So I'm, I definitely want to tap into, let's say, in relationships, right? Um, what are some... I don't want to say like common mistakes, but maybe just common, uh, you know, maybe bad habits, bad traits that people are doing within relationships, again, both personal and romantic ones, um, in just the way they frame messaging. And is there a way that they can apply positive psychology to maybe improve the strength of their relationships in that essence? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. Um, I want to add on to the other, to the previous question and my answer is that positive psych we bridge the research with the theory and then the application so we can we'll take from the research and then um you apply it to your life and sometimes what we um share and what the research says like may not work for you and sometimes mm -hmm. it may so it really is about trial and error to see what works in your life we're just sharing what we have found works for other people that are thriving or have really um, positive relationships, right? So one of the things, well, there's two that stand out. So it's impossible to be best friends with everybody, right? And right. as much as you may want to be, again, like same thing with your, the same as your well-being, it ebbs and flows, like relationships come and go. There's just there going to be times where um, you experience a lot of positive emotions with each other. And I'm not very well-versed in, you know, the science of friendship and relationships. Um, but with relationships, we have connections with people throughout the entire day. We may not have a future relationship with that person, but that doesn't mean that we can't have a high quality, positive micro moment of connection with someone. So I always ask people to think about, well, what about like the Amazon driver driving off your or dropping off your package, right? Or the barista at Starbucks when you go get your coffee, or if you live in New York, the people on the subway, or whoever it is at the post office or at the bank, whoever you come in contact with every single day, those are moments of connection. And they can be either positive or negative or just like blah, right? Um, and if they're negative, they zap you of your energy. We've all, you know, we've all been shopping, right? Or gone to the mall or to the grocery store and the cashier may have a really bad attitude or not be friendly. And that moment of connection can, can really zap your energy or it can make you frustrated if they're not moving fast enough or like scanning your items fast enough. But you can also have a really positive connection that gives you a lot of energy and that sparks a lot of different positive emotions. And we've all experienced that too. We've experienced everything, right? And so I always challenge people to really look up from their cell phones and to engage fully in the moment. And it's hard. It's, it's, it's not going to happen every time. We're, we're, we live in our own little bubble in our own little worlds. But I really challenge people to step out of that bubble which nowadays is even more difficult. Like it used to be that you didn't have cell phones and you were forced to say hello to the person in the elevator. And now like you can hide in your cell phone, right? And like not, you, you, you can go about your day and never interact with anybody if you really wanted to. So I really challenge people to go out and positively interact with someone. Literally just say, hello, how are you? And that can spark a whole range of positive emotions and connection and conversation maybe. And 
you know, maybe you laugh, maybe there's a joke, but it really helps you continue on past your day. And sometimes you leave feeling better if you have those little moments of connection. Um, so that's something that I challenge people to do. And then secondly, a lot of times we think relationships, there is research around uh, the social support aspect of relationships and how it's important to have um, a community of friendships and that and social support uh, when you're going through a tough time, illness, uh, if it's uh, health related um, or a job loss or divorce, all these different things, right? But it's also important and some may argue even more important to have that social support when you experience positive milestones in your life or accomplishments or achievements. And so um, how you respond to someone when they share good news with you is really important for the relationship and for the other person's well-being and your well-being too. Um, it, 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 it helps cultivate that relationship and create a bond. And so that a lot of people would argue is more important than how you respond to someone when they share negative news with you. And so um, really digging deeper and helping the other person share in the joy, share in the excitement by asking questions, by not negating their experience or hijacking the conversation to make it about yourself or about your experience or um, about your achievement that day um, and really helping the person to live out that experience again. So not only do they feel that sense of support from you and they feel that you're um, a close ally and supportive of their positive accomplishment, but you help them relive that experience and you help them relive it by having them share that experience with you. And I think that's when I learned about that, it was like mind blowing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so important. And I realized it was something that I so deeply crave and need too, you know, when I have these positive uh, life milestones or events in my life. Um, and it can even, it doesn't have to be, I know I'm talking in like big abstract terms, but it could just be about like how your day was, right? And like little tiny things too. It doesn't have to be like, you know, getting a new job or all these like big events. It can be little things throughout your day. So having those positive interactions is really important. Right. Um, are there any nonverbal communication that this um, that positive psychology discusses in, in their studies with like ways you can present yourself, the way you can look at people, the way, you know, ways that you can improve internally and externally for yourself so that you can present yourself in a more, um, I guess, welcoming way to others that that influence conversations? Are there any nonverbals that you would recommend in that in that aspect? Ooh, that's so interesting. Um, I don't have any, well, I do have one that comes to mind, but this is going to make me go down the rabbit hole of finding all the research <laughs> about it. Um, so going back to relationships, there is um, one study in particular, but there are studies done that uh, show that just having a cell phone out during a conversation. So when you go grab coffee with a friend or a meeting or lunch, just having the cell phone out, even if it's face down, even if it's off, reduces the perception of the meaningfulness of the conversation and how connected <laughs> you feel. So um, it's so crazy because I found that study like right after it came out and I was like telling everybody about <laughs> it. And, I, and then like now, of course, like a lot of people know about this study, but it really goes to show you like how just the mere presence of a cell phone, like what does that mean? Right. And the fact that it's like reducing the quality, like your perception of the quality of the conversation and your perception of connectedness to one another is just, it's crazy, right? So I always 
try to, you know, it's hard. Like you forget, it's like your cell phone is like your teddy bear. It goes along everywhere with you. And so really um, encourage people and especially young women to put their cell cell phone away Mm. and be present with one another and really try to connect as we were meant to connect in real life, in real time. I know with the pandemic, it's difficult. um, And Zoom and virtual will never replace Mm -hmm. uh, in-person experiences. Um, But really try to be present with someone and try to um, leave the cell phone out of it. And you'll realize that you'll, you do get a sense of energy that you don't get when the cell phone's a part of those experiences. Yeah. And you probably saw I was nodding my head this whole time because I could not agree more with that. I mean, especially I even take note when someone has their phone up versus phone down. For me, if I'm leaving my phone out, it's for sure like down, um, face down. And I have some friends that are very extreme, like, and I know they're very mindful of people's time. So they will always put their phone away and I will be, feel very self-conscious if I have my phone now, or even if I respond to a very quick text, you know, even from my dad, like I will still feel like, oh crap. Like I look like a really bad person for having my phone out. Okay. One more question on the positive psychology end. Are there certain thoughts. I think you went over this at one point my senior year when you came in to do a meeting. And I think you had talked about even like doing the victory stance, I believe. Um, and even just certain things that you can say or do, maybe it's like dancing or jumping, just certain like actions that could really help someone shift their energy. And I, and I know we talked a lot about energy today in just the way we feel, whether it's a positive interaction with, you know, the Amazon Prime deliver, delivery guy or just the barista at Starbucks. Um, what are some ways that we, if we notice that we want to improve the thoughts in our head and just the energy that we cultivate within ourselves, um, what are some things that we can do for ourselves to change that in a more positive way? Right. It's so interesting that you say the victory dance. Yeah. Um, I mean, even before I, we hopped on this call, right, to, to record this, I was feeling like a lull. So I needed to move my body and our physiology really does influence how we feel and the emotions that we have. And so um, people, you know, people say emotion, like the word motion is an emotion, right? And emotions mm. are just like flowing through your body and moving through your body. And so I've always been a big proponent of like, when you feel a lull, like you have to get up and move, you have to move your body. And it goes back to with like physical activity, right? Like you feel so much better after you release all of those endorphins when you work out or when you exercise. And so um, about changing your state, that's probably one of the biggest things you can do is move your body to change your state quickly um, and to change how you feel or just change positions, pull your shoulders back, like change your posture. And it just changes your immediate outlook, take a sip of water. Like there's, there's a lot of like quick little things that you can do. I mean, obviously if you're so tired, take a nap, right. But Mm -hmm. um, I think those things have a much, could be much more of like a quicker impact. And there's studies on taking a walk in nature versus taking a walk in an urban environment and just looking at greenery and green spaces and incorporating plants into your space and how that can improve your well-being and your overall focus and energy levels. So Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but I am a big uh, believer in just quickly changing your stance, your your body, moving it um, to create a lot of energy. I mean, before I give a talk, I'm like piping myself up, giving myself a pep talk and really moving my body, stretching, making sure that I am expanding my body so that I can expand and project positivity um, to others. So um, 
yeah, I don't have like a quick study off the top of my head that like shows uh, that, that, that like shows or, you know, any type of correlation with that. But mm-hmm. um, that's something that I recommend. <laughs> okay, well, I want to dive into the last question. It's something I ask everyone on the show. And it's probably something you have dabbled with in your studies as well. But the question is, what ultimately fulfills you in life? Ooh, I'm in the hot seat. Um, I should have expected this question, right? Since it's the name of your podcast. Um, so for the last year, I really dove into work. And work was a big part of my life. And I think it became at the detriment. There's always a give and take, right? You have finite time. And it came at the detriment uh, of my relationships. Hmm. And recently I made this year in particular, and I think for a lot of people right in the pandemic, like they realized the power of relationships, how we need one another, the power of connections and how virtual just doesn't cut it. Like you need that physical presence and interaction, but I made a conscious decision this year to rebuild my relationships because it was something that I neglected for at least a year. And, you know, they even felt like neglected even during grad school. Again, you have only so much time and you got to get assignments in. So um, work really fulfills me. I love working. I love being passionate about what I do, but also thinking, I also don't want to wake up in 10 years, having accomplished all these things that I've accomplished and then not having anybody to share that excitement with. Right. So I've made a decision and I can't say that I've been, been great at it, but I've been consciously making a decision to reach out to friends, to, connect to go back to what I used to do of meeting in person, grabbing coffee, grabbing lunch, and really cultivating my relationships in person uh, and just in general. So um, those are two things that, again, finding that balance, maybe there is no balance. It's more of an integration, Mm -hmm. um, but really working towards building my relationships. And then of course, um, you know, my relationship with my family, uh, with God, my fiance, his family, uh, those are all really important and give me a lot of meaning uh, in life. So I hope that answers your question. It, it really <laughs> there's does. No right or wrong. <laughs> yeah, there's no right or wrong. And I have to add to it's funny that you say that you looked into the future of what it would be like 10 years from now. And, you know, you don't want to realize like you've succeeded everything in, in your career and your work, but have no one to celebrate it with. And that's something I've always talked about as well, not only on this podcast, but to my friends and to myself, I realized like, you know, I think we're similar in that sense. We're both very career driven. We are goal driven for ourselves. We have a tight grip on what we want to do, or at least the direction we want to go in. But um, yeah, even I think I would say the junior year at the time, once I started to dabble with strong girls and all that, that was when I had not very strong relationships in my life. And that was my little aha moment in life thinking like, wow, you could have so much in your life. You could have money and success and, and being the best in your field, but there's, it's not that fun if you don't have anyone to celebrate with, which was my experience, my junior year. So I just had to add that there too, because it was kind of cute that you had that realization or just kind of said it in the same way as, as I have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so true. And again, there's seasons of life, right? There's going to be seasons where you do have to double down on work and there's going to be sacrifices that you have to make. Um, and that ebbs and flows. And then there's seasons where you can spend more time with your friends, but being intentional and making it happen is like an extra step, right? Like, cause it won't happen if you don't, if you aren't intentional about it. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting how we have 
similar experiences, but at different points in life. <laughs> exactly. Well, okay. Where can everyone find the strong movement and yourself on social media? I know you mentioned you're kind of off of it, but even that, or at least where they can reach out to you if they're interested in expanding the strong movement to their university. Yeah, so you can find The Strong Movement online. So www.thestrongmovement.com and on social media, uh, you can find it. It's the, the Instagram handle at The Strong Movement. Um, yeah, it's, and then I'm all over the interweb. So I'm sure you can find me one way or another. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And I'll be sure to link that in the show notes. Thank you again, Elise, for being on today. This was so fun to chat with you. And I'm so glad we got to catch up. Yes, I loved it. Thank you so much and honored to have been a part of it. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Yes, even if you listen on Spotify or Google, it literally takes five to 10 seconds of your time. And if you loved this episode in particular with Elise, then please be sure to let us know. Comment on the latest Instagram post at what fulfills you. Uh, yeah, update. I have officially removed pod from the username. So from now on, on all social media, including Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, it is all at what fulfills you. So be sure to keep up to date with that. Follow us on Instagram. Also, one more thing, be sure to stay off your phone and don't even let it be in sight when you are at dinner, coffee, lunch with a friend, and especially with a potential romantic partner. I know how much that is a turnoff for me. With that being said, thank you again for tuning in. I will chat with y'all next time. Bye.